today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. I tell you, there's a real freedom in disenfranchising oneself from those who have undue influence in our lives. Those who occupy a position in our lives that should belong to the Lord and the Lord alone. We esteem them, we look up to them, and truth be known, we've made an idol out of them. And then when, not if, they fall, we're devastated. The Apostle Paul warns you to keep yourself from idols. Today, Pastor J.D. reminds you that all idols aren't just carved images. Today's idols often are people in high places, even people in religion. Some idolize pastors, TV preachers, and worship leaders. Remember, Jesus will not share his glory with anyone. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. The book of Revelation, it's actually a divine outline. In chapter 1, I had no intention of going this far, but let's just end with this, and then we'll resume our Bible study already in progress. The book of Revelation has a divine outline in it. In chapter 1, John is told to write that which he has seen, that which is now, and that which is to come hereafter. Metatauta in the Greek, meaning after these things. In other words, John, you're going to write past, present, future. Chapter 1, past. Eyewitness of Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and glorified. That's chapter 1, past. Chapters 2 and 3, present. That's where we're at right now, by the way. Revelation chapters 2 and 3, seven letters to seven churches, the church age. Chapter 4, verse 1, very interesting verse. John is told to come up hither at the sound of the trumpet, and he's caught up to heaven. That's the rapture. (laughs) Oh, by the way, after chapter 4, verse 1, the word church is not found anymore. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, the word church is found 19 times. When you get to chapter 6 through 19, that's the seven-year tribulation. You don't find the word church mentioned one time in chapters 6 through 19. Why? Because the church isn't in the tribulation. So the word church isn't going to be mentioned in those chapters dealing with the tribulation. Chapter 20 is the millennium, and chapters 21 and 22 is the new heavens and the new earth. Beautiful divine outline. Past, present, future. God is a God of order. And so that's the timeline. Now, I hope you got that. You'll be tested on that next week. So, verse 5. <laughs> o house of Jacob, come, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land, verse 8, is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. People bow down, verse 9, and each man humbles himself, 
therefore do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord, verse 12, the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low upon all the cedars of Lebanon, verse 13, that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, and upon every fortified wall. You get the impression that it pretty much covers everything. Well, it keeps going, verse 16. Upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all the beautiful sloops, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of man shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. But verse 18, the idols he shall utterly abolish. They shall go into the holes of the rocks, and into the caves of the earth, from the terror of the Lord, and the glory of His majesty, when He arises to shake the earth mightily. Wow! If this sounds a little bit like Revelation chapter 6, That's because it's Revelation chapter 6. I don't mean to sound cute or coy, but what do we read in Revelation chapter 6? They hide themselves in the rocks. What are they hiding from? Well, Isaiah refers to it as the terror of the Lord. You know what Revelation refers to it in chapter 6 as? The wrath of the Lamb. Think about that. A lamb? The wrath of a, look, (laughs) I mean, I can, the wrath of a lion, that works for me. The wrath of a bear, that could work. And let's bring it closer to home. The wrath of a dog, I can picture that. The wrath of a lamb? Whoo, that's Jesus, the Lamb of God. That's what they're hiding from. That's who they're hiding from. You know, I was thinking about this today, and I, it's not the first time I've been thinking about it, but study, of course, reminded me of it. I'm not dogmatic about it, but I wonder, just a thought, I wonder, all of these wealthy people, I mean, we're talking super wealthy people. I'm not going to mention names, don't need to. Do you realize the underground cities they've built for themselves in the rock to hide themselves? I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. They have documentaries on this. You can go online. I'm sure there's YouTube videos you can watch. Don't spend too much time on it. But I mean, these are underground cities. These are underground houses they've built down into the 
earth into the rock to protect themselves. They've got supplies for everything they need, food, electricity, they've got everything they need. I heard one guy, in fact, uh, a couple weeks ago, forget the context of the conversation, but it went something like this. One of these wealthy guys that had built this, I mean, if you think about it, it's a mansion underground in the rocks, if you will, and it would rival any mansion or beach estate, you know, on Kailua Beach that's, you know, probably $30 million. They probably spent $10 billion building this underground city and place. And they were asked, um, so if there's a catastrophic global event, how are you going to get to it from where you're at now? He says, oh, no problem. They, <laughs> they have aircraft, they have ground craft, bulletproof. And I think to myself, wow, all that effort, all that, you need to get saved, because then that's the ultimate. <laughs> but because even then, you're still not going to hide from the wrath of the Lamb, the terror of the Lord. They're going to be hiding themselves in utter terror when this happens. Verse 20, in that day, verse 20, a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship, <laughs> to the moles and bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty, when He arises to shake the earth mightily. And then verse 22, He says, Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? In other words, don't have anything to do with these people. Sever yourself from them, disconnect, disenfranchise yourself from them. The very breath they have in their nostrils, God holds in His hands. I think to myself, whenever I read a passage like this, it's almost like, look, at the end of the day, who cares what people think of you? At the end of the day, it only matters, what, what does God think of you? I think we could take away from this before we go to the next chapter, that we do err greatly when we find ourselves being man-pleasers. We care more about what man thinks of us than what we care about what God thinks of us. I tell you, there's a real freedom in disenfranchising oneself from those who have undue influence in our lives. Those who occupy a position in our lives that should belong to the Lord and the Lord alone. We esteem them, we look up to them, and truth be known, we've made an idol out of them. And then when, not if, they fall, we're devastated.
because we built our house upon shifting sand. And it's just a matter of time. This also, I believe, speaks to putting people on a pedestal. That's not to be dismissive or discount that God can use people in our lives and there can be a a healthy fondness for those vessels in our lives that God chooses and uses to speak into our lives. But when we take it to an unhealthy extreme and put them in positions that only the Lord belongs, we would do well to remind ourselves that the very breath that they have, God holds in His hands. Be very careful. Isaiah chapter 3. By the way, we end now this, we sort of turn a corner from the future hope of the kingdom age, and we're going to go back now to the present age. And I believe by God's design, you know, it's kind of a back and forth thing here, but it's almost like God wants us to taste from the cup of hope. And then as we go back to now and begin chapter 3, the present age, we're going to have that taste in our mouth. Because now we've tasted of the Lord and we see that He is good. And our taste buds have been ruined for anything else. You know how that is? Sometimes God will deem fit to ruin us for everything or anything but Him, so that nothing satisfies. Once you've tasted of the Lord, and you've seen that He is good, you're ruined for Him, in a good way, (laughs) in a good way. Isaiah chapter 3 verse 1, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread, and the whole supply of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, and the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 verse 3, and the honorable man, the counselor and the skillful artisan, and the expert enchanter. Oh, interesting. Do you get the impression that maybe all of the above were those who they looked to and put on that aforementioned pedestal? And God's saying, I'm going to take away and remove from you all of that and all of that. Oh, you looked to that which you stock and store? I'm taking it away. Oh, you look to the mighty man that you've put on that pedestal? I'm taking him away. Oh, is he a judge? Is he a prophet? Is he a diviner, an elder, a captain of fifty, an honorable man, a counselor, a skillful man, an expert? Well, I tell you, when it comes to experts, I think I've shared my heart on this. I, I'm very uncomfortable whenever somebody refers to me as a Bible prophecy expert. I'm like, Bible prophecy expert? Where? Who? Where? What? Oh, I'm an expert. <laughs> you, you have no idea. 
Truth be known, I'm like one chapter ahead of where you are. No, that's being honest with you. I'm being very open with you. Expert? Because here's what the problem with that is. Because as soon as you see me or say of me or anyone like me, this is the expert. Well then here we come. Oh, our flesh loves it. And I'm not above it. And I've confessed it. So all of a sudden my whole voice changes. Yes, I'd like to uh, first pontificate on the eschatological view found in... Because after all, I'm the expert. Now, I, you know what I like instead of expert? I like donkey. No, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. If God can speak through a donkey, He can speak through me. Because God chooses the foolish to confound the wise, and the weak to shame the strong. You know why? Because then He and He only gets the glory. And even if I wanted to try to take credit for it, <laughs> it's laughable. It's laughable. Because see, if I'm the expert, then here's what happens. Well, of course. Have you seen his resume? Have you seen his credentials? He's even got letters after his name. I'm not, I mean no disrespect. I have no letters after my name. I changed my name to letters, to just try to get letters in there. <laughs> but see, if you're the expert, then certainly you're the one in the end that's going to get the credit. Because after all, you're the expert. But if you're the donkey, then in the end, people look at you and go, wow, God is good. If, if God, and then here's the other thing too, if God can use you, there's hope for me too. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. You'll forgive me, but I, I think that we would be grossly remiss were we not to really take heed to this because it speaks to this very thing. We put people in these positions that only the Lord should be put in. And it's not long before God will take them away. They'll falter, they'll fall. And then it's almost like God is over here going, remember me? You look to them, you put them in that position. And by the way, if I can say it this way, you do those whom you put in that position a great disservice. Because now, see, they bear the weight of that, and they will then posture themselves in that way. And then it's not long before the fall comes, because pride always precedes the fall. It's a sobering and serious truth that again I think we would do well to take heed of.
Verse 4, I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. The people will be oppressed, everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder, and the base toward the honorable. When a man, verse 6, takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have clothing, you be our ruler. (laughs) And let these ruins be under your power. That's called desperation, by the way. In that day, verse 7, he will protest, saying, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler of the people. What in the world is this message, this vision given to Isaiah about? I would suggest that it's all about the judgment that always ensues when there's wickedness and rebellion in a nation. This is across the board. And I don't think you have to stretch your imagination too far to superimpose the template of what we just read over the current condition of this nation, the United States of America. What do you have? You have childish leaders, oppressive rebellion, total anarchy and chaos, with no order. I mean, picture the scene. It's really quite a graphic picture painted on the canvas of this vision in this chapter. You got people going up to anybody on the street saying, hey, you be our leader. And the guy that they say that to goes, are you kidding? Me? Not going to happen. It reminds me of in the Old Testament when we're told that there was no fear of the Lord in their eyes. And every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's the judgment of God, and it comes, it always comes, it always ensues on the heels of wickedness and rebellion. And God, please know, is pleading with His people. He's warning His people, this didn't need to happen. It's going to happen. He's warning them, prophesying to them, this is what's going to happen. And it wouldn't be long before this is exactly what would happen. Verse 8, for Jerusalem stumbled, and Judah has fallen. Why? Because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord, to provoke the eyes of His glory. The look on their countenance witnesses against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Can I just read that again? They have brought evil upon themselves. 
We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Isaiah is an interesting one, as the prophet Isaiah spoke things that God wanted the people of Israel to hear, but they just wouldn't listen. Little did they know that much of what Isaiah spoke had bigger significance than they could have imagined. From beginning to end, the book of Isaiah touches on Jesus Christ coming later on. It refers to the announcement of his coming, his birth, his good news of salvation, his death, and his return to claim his own. Wow, what an incredible insight into the future. Sometimes things are plain right before our eyes, and we just aren't willing to see it for what it is. Although the people were ignorant in that present time, God used Isaiah to speak to them anyway and to proclaim the good news that was to come. Do you know of this good news? If not, we'd like you to check out calvarychapelkaneohe.com and head over to the resources page. There you'll find the ABCs of salvation, which goes into a step-by-step understanding the good news of Jesus. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and to look for more things God wants to teach you in this book of Isaiah. Looking forward to next time here on In Spirit and Truth.